Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. When we were young, we all got asked the same question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Jason Bonetti wrote in an elementary school paper, quote, I would like to be the White Sox broadcaster. And here we are, oh, about 30 years later, and Jason Benetti is the Chicago White Sox TV play-by-play man. It's a great story, especially when you consider the obstacles Jason has faced. We're thrilled to have Jason Benetti join us for this episode of Unstoppable. Hi, Jason. Hi, Les. Hi, Vic. How you doing? Good, Jason. Thanks for joining us, my friend. We're doing great. Let's start off with, with a little baseball, because uh, baseball is right around the corner here. Uh, now, the White Sox, the team you're announcing for, very active and very aggressive this past offseason, and they are considered one of the top contenders in the American League now, if not all of baseball. So for the first time since 2016, when you entered the Sox broadcasting booth, there's a ton of excitement about this team. So how excited are you? I'm thrilled. I mean, last year we got glimpses, uh, Steve Stone and I uh, got glimpses of what the White Sox are going to be. There were diving catches from Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez home runs and the Lucas Giolito no hitter and a playoff berth and everything that came along with it. I think it was it was this uh, window into what Sox fans are going to see in the next bunch of years. But for me now, it's like, okay, last year in 60 games, clearly this team was a contender. Now over 162, you add a piece like Lance Lynn, you add a piece like uh, Liam Hendricks, and let's see what happens. But I, I feel like with all the young talent that's maturing, there's there's no reason to be anything but but over the moon about the Sox right now. Jason, I'm more inclined to wonder, how does one become a White Sox fan instead of a Cubs fan in Chicago? Is it all based on geography? Yeah, when your uncle drinks old style, I think uh-huh. you become a White Sox fan. Uh, it's mostly geography, but I think there are a lot of people who like being interlopers too, right? Like there, are, I I've run into North Side Sox fans and South Side Cub fans, and like there's always a rebel of the family. I feel like very rarely do you have three kids and two parents, and everybody is one. Especially like the youngest kid to try to get attention, you might pick the other one. But, yeah, it's generally geographic, and it's generally uh, based on what you put on your hot dogs, I feel like. But for you, it's always White Sox true and true. You never, ever had the urge to move to the other side. So, funny story, uh, my dad and some of his friends were uh, acquainted with the Cubs, let's say. So when I was a kid, my dad is a converted Sox fan. He's not even close to acquainted with the Cubs anymore. So I put it that way because he he was an easy convert very early in my life. We went to some Cubs games at Wrigley, and I lost two baby teeth in the same Wrigley Field hamburger. And that was the moment when I said, yeah, you know, like uh, Sox fan for sure. No, I it, it was interesting, though, because, you know, you, you like hand a tooth to your parents and you say, like, I lost a tooth. And they're like, oh, OK, you know, tooth fairy, whatever. And then you say, I lost another tooth. And they say, no, 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 that's just the space where your other tooth was. And I said, no, no, no here. And they said, oh, interesting, produce the evidence, uh, like, you know, like the principal in Ferris Bueller's day off, right? Like, I got to see the body. So there's the tooth. And they're like, oh, uh, well, 
Guess no more burger for this kid, huh? You could have picked worse things to eat at the ballpark. Let me tell you, I grew up eating Ron Santos Pro Pizza at Wrigley Field because I'm a Northsider, and I, I might have lost not only my teeth but my tongue eating that stuff. Was it was it pro or amateur in, in <laughs> it taste? Was, it was very amateur, extremely amateur. Jason, you, you grew up doing impressions of the White Sox broadcaster, Hawk Harrelson, and then you end up replacing him, first working beside him for a year, then replacing him. How surreal was that oh it was ridiculous i mean i i when i when it it was known to some people internally that i was going to be the new announcer a hawk knew and i was i very distinctly remember this i was traveling to fort worth for a tcu basketball game and i looked at my phone and i had a missed call it was on silent i was driving i don't remember what it was i had a missed call from a 407 number i checked my voicemail and it's a voicemail from Hawk Harrelson. And I thought, okay, uh, this is very Twilight Zone-ish to me because I've watched, I mean, you spend, I've spent days and months watching Hawk Harrelson, like watching, studying, understanding, knowing the tendencies, like, uh, and to have that person on your phone is a very strange deal. And he, he was so gracious and so generous with his advice and we had some really heartfelt conversations that first year, not to say we haven't in the future, but that first year, it was a very genuine relationship. And you need like I needed that walking into this. He was very interested in me. I was clearly interested in him. And we've maintained that friendship. But he he it was surreal, but it was very easy because he was gracious. You had to do the minor league climb like many in the business to get to where you are. But what I want to know is, why are you so darn educated for this job? I mean, you went and got your law degree? What? Why do you need all that? I mean, we're, Les and I are dumb. We did the dumb route. Why did you do all the educating route? It's not, it's not for the dumb or the smart. It's because, um, honestly, the law school thing came from I was doing minor league baseball, and you're on a bus so much. And at that point, there was like no Netflix, like Netflix was you, they send you DVDs if you pay them via credit card. Now there's like Venmo for your iPad and things like that. Now I sound like one of the olds. And so uh, you're on these bus trips and you think to yourself, like, is there something more I can be doing with my time while I'm doing this? And like, I don't know, I, I fought with enough copiers in minor league baseball and I did enough game notes and all of these things that like. I, I was try, I was always trying to find something else to do while I was doing the part of the job I didn't like. And law school, I think, became that. But it's more about me wanting to learn about the world and two sides to an argument. And man, the law school thing became really important in my understanding and viewpoint of what's out there, what's outside your window. And so I did it because, you know, like idle hands, devil's workshop sort of situation. But I did it because I was interested as well. And it, and it turned out to be really important to me. Your broadcast partner, Steve Stone, said you had the brains of a nuclear scientist. I saw this. He said this on national TV, Jason. What was your reaction to that? <laughs> uh, more nuclear than scientist. Uh, no, I, it's... Um, Honestly, the great thing about working with Steve Stone, among all of the great things, the greatest thing is that he is a challenge every day. And I don't mean that in a negative way at all. 
every day he says something that there is no chance I would have thought of. And then there are five more things. And the best partnerships are the ones where you accidentally push each other. Like he always is making my mind twirl and work and engineer. And so if he believes that, and, and that's uh, even close to true, which I would dispute substantially, uh, if he believes that, it's because he in part helps create that. And when I work with people who are thoughtful and creative, and he is that in spades, uh, I think the best version of me comes out. And it's the best part of the job that you just randomly run into somebody who becomes a friend for life and becomes this creative partner in this enterprise that we all we wouldn't have done separately, but we do together. And I love that so much. Jason, you use the word challenge. Um, at the top of the podcast, I use the word obstacles. Um, and, and I want to talk about um, your situation, specifically uh, the, the cerebral palsy. Um, now, for those who don't know, uh, basically CP is a, a group of disorders that affect movement and muscle tone uh, or posture. Uh, it can be caused by a premature birth, which you were subjected to. Um, the signs and symptoms show up at a very young age, uh, and it can cause impaired movement, uh, abnormal reflexes, uh, rigidity of the limbs, your trunk, abnormal posture, involuntary movements, etc. Unsteady walking, which also uh, afflicts you at times. Um, so I, I'm wondering, you you were diagnosed at a very early age. It affected you at a very early age, which usually does CP. And, and I'm wondering, how does it affect you today? Uh, oh, that's so loaded because I actually think everything, everything I am is in part because of that. We all are a response to everything that we were when we were kids. I believe, uh, and we all are every piece of our being. So physically, to, you know, to be specific and objective for a moment, physically, uh, all that I, and I'm so fortunate, there are some people with CP who use assistive technology devices and have speech impediments and everything that goes along with that. And it would be treacherous for an announcer. And I, I've been very fortunate that what you can see is that my gait is odd. The way I walk is, is odd and sort of bouncy and herky-jerky. And then one of my eyes drifts as well, uh, which leaves me with fantastic uh, peripheral vision. So that's, that's <laughs> one. Uh, but what I'm, what I'm left with, I mean, I, uh, I just finished reading uh, the filmmaker uh, Judd Apatow, his book, and it's a series of interviews with famous comics. And it is amazing to me how much creativity comes from pain early in life. And, you know, I'm not saying like, I'm not saying that I had a horrible childhood in any way because I didn't. My parents were extremely loving and wonderful people and encouraged me to go do whatever the heck I wanted to, even if I wasn't really like fit for it. Like go out in the backyard, play football with your friends, do all like they, they were caring and loving and wonderful. And they opened so many doors of my mind to do those things. But yeah, I, I, like when you're a kid and people make fun of you for how you walk or talk about you or call you names or whatever, it, like I think it's hard. And then when you grow up uh, losing some summers because you had surgeries in those summers and you don't develop like the little league team and everything that comes along with that, I think it affects you. And the way that I deal with it uh, a lot of the times is uh, the good news is about this job is if the work's good somebody's going to hire you no matter what you look like. Like th that's what I love most about this job is if you get good at it, it's not perfect, but if you get good at it, somebody's going to find you. 
And I don't say that in an arrogant way because I'm whatever good people think I am on that given day, and that's true. But I do think once you reach a skill level and an acuity level about this job, if it's good enough, somebody will hire you. So I throw myself in the work. And then also uh, in that Apatow book, one of the comics he interviewed said that he feels like that people lean into humor because they want to be in charge of why people laugh at them. And I think that's really thoughtful. And I appreciated that very much because I think that's where my sense of humor might come from as well, because I, I do like to make people laugh. I don't like frowns a whole lot. Uh, but you know, I, part of it is throw yourself in the work. And then part of it is just sort of look askance at society and have a good laugh about it. Because frankly, like people are going to judge me for the entirety of my life. It's not going to stop. You might as well just move, move on. On a previous podcast, we had um, college basketball icon, Dick Vitale as a guest. Love and it. when, and yeah, well, you know him from from ESPN. He's a he's a colleague of yours at ESPN because you do a lot of college uh, football and basketball for ESPN as well. well. When Dick was younger, he suffered an eye injury. You probably are aware of this. And since the age of five, his eyes were not aligned. He says uh, he has what he calls a wandering eye. Um, and at the beginning of his broadcast career, he told us he was very insecure about going on TV. Did you have that insecurity at the beginning of your career? For sure. For sure. I went into radio less in large part because that's it's the first place where I felt really comfortable because people were hearing what I was saying before they saw me. And so they judged what I said before they saw the person, the vehicle saying it. So I think that's why I went into radio in the first place. And then in college, literally, I did no TV unless it was assigned in a class like there was a TV station. I never did TV uh, in college because I, I had no interest in doing it. And my first bunch of years, I did radio. I only got into TV. Uh, because the AAA team that I was working for had a TV deal. And then I thought, well, you know, like there are some opportunities here, so maybe I should lean into it. But I, I had some great advice from some friends in the business and ways to handle my eye and places that I can look like it is better for me to look at the camera with my outside eye and my partner with my inside eye and slightly turn to my partner because then both eyes have a target. There's no arrow that gets fired the wrong place. So there's, there are two bullseyes, basically. Uh, one is the camera, and then one is my partner. So each has a, a heat lock, essentially. So that's helped tremendously. Because let's face it, you can be not self-conscious while also wanting the audience to have as good of an experience as possible. I know what I look like. I know that that will affect perception but I'm confident enough in the work at this point that it's not a self-conscious issue. It's simply, hey, is there a little troubleshoot that we can do to make this look even better? I love the animated videos that you voice over and you do for uh, Cerebral Palsy. And in one of those, you mentioned how you react in public. If somebody sees you in public, if a child sees you and the mother uh, sort of, hey, you know, I'm sorry, and, and then you react... How should a parent, how should a parent discuss that with their child in public if you're seen and the child has questions? What I would say is the key is not necessarily even how to discuss it, but to discuss it. The only thing that I think makes uh, people with disabilities vulnerable in that spot or like others, uh, you know, to be like an outgroup is when you say shh 
don't say anything mm-hmm. because that makes you feel as somebody who walks funny. It makes you feel like an, an unwanted, uh, ugly duckling sort of deal. So I, I think it's just have the conversation that that person looks different and that's okay. And here's why. I mean, once kids understand, you, you should see it in elementary school classrooms. Once kids understand people with disabilities, friendships grow very quickly. There's not a whole lot of judgment in a kid, I don't believe, when they come out of the womb. I think we sort of develop that in kids. And so it's incumbent upon me to try to keep my cool when odd situations happen and try to educate people. And then I think also it's simply about just having open lines of communication and making kids understand that there's nothing wrong with anybody. It's simply that's who that person is. Jason, I, th- I think you're aware one of the reasons, one of the main reasons Vic and I do this podcast and we call it Unstoppable is because Vic has had some health issues, including prostate cancer. Uh, almost three years ago, I was diagnosed with lung cancer and and I'm doing my damnedest to not let it define me. You know, friends call up, family calls up and says, first thing, how you doing? And they say it, you know, with that tone in their voice and it just drives me crazy. I don't want to be defined by it. What do you do to not allow CP to define you? It's so hard. And I'm so glad you put it that way, Les, because um, the repetition is what the annoyance is. The way you just said that, that tone and that being the first thing somebody says about you, it's not really a hurdle, but then you think about what it replaces and it is a hurdle. It's a major opportunity cost, as an economist would put it. Like people start with, how's your health? I'd rather talk about what music are you listening to, whatever it might be. So let's all get past that. How how do I not let it define me? I think it's just trying to spend days doing things I love to do and getting good at something. Like I've always landed on the side of, as you all said, education, but also skill development. So it's, hey, how can I make myself better today? How can I use this as a slingshot? I, I have a friend who I call who's not in the business. When something goes wrong in the business, I call and he's basically like the pillow I scream into, but he's really thoughtful and he's a super smart person and a caring guy. And when we hang up, I've gotten all the anger out and then I go use the energy as a slingshot to go do six or seven tasks. And so I try to not let it define me by taking whatever volatility that comes from being judged. Like I was in the airport Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I I rarely travel nowadays because of COVID, as we all don't much. And I walked up to the security checkpoints and I was selected for random screening. And, you know, they have that tube with the little yellow shoes in the tube. Mm -hmm. I was getting in the tube and the TSA agent was standing right next to where I was going to walk into. And I said, hey, could you move back, please? I just want to have some space in between us. And he said, well, I need to show you what to do. And I said, no, you don't. The the little yellow things are there. And then you put your hands up over your head and he goes, are you sure you got it? I said, I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it. And, you know, some people's tendency is to want to say, like, when they hear that story, oh, that sucks. Or I'm sorry about that. I tried to educate the guy. And I said, look, just because I walk like this doesn't mean I don't know how to do things. And he said, I didn't judge you. And I said, 
yes, you did. Just be honest. I mean, that, that's literally how I said it. There was no tone of anger or anything. I said, just be honest. It's easier if you're honest about it. Then we can have a conversation about it. He goes behind the conveyor belt. I go back over there. He won't admit it. And I said, dude, really honestly, it's okay. Just admit it. He goes, I didn't judge you. Get over yourself. Oh, boy. Wow. I said, oh, no, 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 no. That's where I draw the line. Where's your supervisor? And then I told the guy, and anytime something like that happens, and I talk to another person who's outside of it, they pretty much immediately understand how ridiculous the whole interaction was. But I think there's a huge lesson in that. There's a level of defensiveness when somebody doesn't realize their brain is wired a certain way. Like he didn't mean anything by it. He literally saw something and reacted. I think it's actually a pretty, um, it's a pretty harmless, immediate thought. And then he digs deeper and deeper and deeper because he doesn't want to admit that he did something like that. I think we need to make it easier in our society for people admit to admit that they made an accidental judgment hmm. because it turned into a fight and it, it had no business becoming any sort of argument. I just want that moment where somebody can say, you know what? I did think that you're different than the people I've run into before. And I think that's cool. Like there's no war at that point. It, it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, the most judged you were came when you were a child. Obviously, yeah. being a child with CP is much different than being adult because you had to wear that for so many years. But what do you ha- what's a bleak day for you today, Jason, and how do you get through it? Bleak day. Uh, you know, it, it's I don't I, I have a lot of happiness in my life. The bleak day is when I do a game or I'm doing something creative and I just don't have it. I just don't. And there are days, like there are days for everybody when you just don't have it. You sit down to write something and I I write a little fiction just for fun, or you, you sit down to do a game and you just say something that's beyond the scope of like, you just, you didn't have it that day. And I don't sleep that night because I like having it. (laughs) And I enjoy the creative energy that comes from a triumph from everybody. Like when you're on a TV crew, you do something dopey or you miss on something that affects everybody and the whole show and the whole audience. The bleak days are the ones where I just don't have it. Been there, done that. Oh, I still yeah. do but it. Then, but then the next, <laughs> then the next day you go out and do it and you feel like a million bucks and you have it and you get a couple laughs and you nail a home run call. And it's like, gosh, can this not be a wooden roller coaster for once? Doesn't that make, you know, we're all broadcasters. We've all done sports broadcasting and we all, for the most part, we criticize athletes. Oh, I don't know how he struck out for a third straight time or how, how do you drop that? And yet you're just describing what an athlete does, right? You go through those moments. That's why I think I'm understanding. And maybe people think I'm Pollyannish every once in a while, but the amount of times I've misspoken and the amount of times somebody swings and misses, I just, I really wish everybody understood that we are all fallible. Like every human has warts. There are mistakes in all of us. That is the beauty of it. And I think that's when I understood myself is when I knew that everything about me that felt like a mistake wasn't. And I'm not going to say, I don't even, I don't, I don't, I don't want to choose anybody else's theism. I don't know if there's a higher power or somebody chose that or whatever it might be, 
But I do think when you comprehend that everything that is you will always be you and it's okay, no matter what, and that every day you're living and can pour out your energy and put something into the world that could last forever just because it was in your mind, that's where the power comes from. Well, Jason, here is to um, fewer bleak days, many more happy days, um, a, a great White Sox season for you and Steve Stone in the booth. Um, continue doing a great job on ESPN with college basketball and college football. I do feel for you at times when you're paired with Bill Walton. That's never easy. <laughs> That's a roller coaster. <laughs> hey, there's nothing bleak about that guy, though. That's what I love about him because his mind, I mean, his mind is like a million bottle rockets all going off at the same time. There's nothing bleak about that. Well, we, we really appreciate your time and, uh, and, and keep doing a fantastic job. Enjoy watching you tremendously. I got to say, this was an absolute pleasure. You guys asked some of the most thoughtful questions that I, and I get interviewed about CP quite often. I just really appreciate you guys diving into the thought of it as you did. And I, you can hear a lot of interviews. I don't always say that. I really do appreciate that. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks, Jason. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus, a world-class medical destination at the forefront of education, science, medicine, and healthcare, right in the center of the Rocky Mountain region. We're joined now by Dr. Jason Rhodes. He is a man of many titles. He is an associate professor. He's a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. He is director of the Cerebral Palsy and Neuromuscular Program at Children's Hospital Colorado on the CU Anschutz Medical Campus. And he is the clinical director for the Center for Gait and Movement Analysis at Children's Hospital Colorado. Hello, doctor. Hello, Les. How are you? Doing fine. So of all those things, tell, tell me what you do specifically at Children's Hospital. Let's let's dive a little deeper into that. And specifically about the, the CP and neuromuscular program? So specifically, I'm a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, so I treat kids, bones, and joints. My specialty is cerebral palsy and neuromuscular conditions, and that stems from my background in uh, biomechanical engineering, and really my primary interest is in gait and movement analysis, so gait meaning walking. And so I really work in our, our CGMA or the gait lab that you mentioned earlier, um, and through that, most of our patients do have some sort of underlying neuromuscular condition, the most primary one being cerebral palsy or CP. And so most of my practice, probably 60 to 70% of it is taking care of children with cerebral palsy um, or other neuromuscular disorders, um, muscle conditions, genetic conditions, many things as that, um, with my primary interest being doing procedures on bones, joints, tendons, and muscles to try to help them walk better. But I also do a lot of surgeries on non-ambulatory um, patients with cerebral palsy um, on their hips and other conditions as well. Let's talk more about CP. I, I've heard about it forever since I'm a little kid and I'm, I'm 64 years old right now, but I never really understood what it meant. I could see what it sometimes did to, um, to the people affected by it, but I didn't really know what it was. Is it hereditary? Is it a birth defect? How would you categorize it? So technically, the official definition of CP is a non-progressive brain injury in the perinatal period. And that perinatal period, 
uh, means around birth um, and how it is officially defined um, through the American Academy of Cerebral Palsy is that it can be pre-birth, during birth, or up to two years after birth. And how I describe it to, to most families and patients is it's generally a stroke. You have some sort of brain injury or something that causes lack of oxygen to the brain during birth um, or again, pre-birth um, and occasionally after birth that can affect the brain. The important aspect of the definition though is it's non-progressive, meaning what has happened in the brain will not change with growth. Now, how the muscles function, because that I say the linkage from the brain to the muscles, especially those nerves, and I describe them to people as they're essentially like electrical wires, that signal is just different. And so the muscles act different. And with growth, that can definitely change over time, but the actual cause in the brain cannot change. Um, there can be many other things that will be classified as cerebral palsy. Again, earlier I mentioned genetic conditions, and there are some different conditions from um, metabolic conditions, heart conditions, all kinds of different things that can lead to a brain injury. But true classic cerebral palsy um, is not officially within those. It's truly just that initial brain injury. And most of the time it's with increased tone and spasticity of the muscles, Although we do see it with hypotonic cerebral palsy, there can be dystonic cerebral palsy. There's a whole bunch of other distant classifications of it. So does it only affect you physically? Because we just heard Jason Benetti, who's, who's a, a wonderful baseball announcer for the Chicago White Sox and extremely smart. Does it sometimes affect the brain in intellectual ways versus physical ways? And was Jason just lucky? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Les. You know, it can affect the cognitive function of the brain. Again, the less involvement that there is, the less likely that there's gonna be cognitive involvement. And um, I listened to, to Jason's talk with you and it was great. Um, I don't know him uh, personally, but my understanding is a really intelligent, very functional uh, gentleman. And a lot of folks with cerebral palsy are like that. We have a bunch of different classification systems of it. Um, and they look at how functional somebody can ambulate from they have a mild cerebral palsy and you can't even tell that they do upwards of where they can't walk. They're in a wheelchair full time. And generally, the more involved they are in terms of that muscle function or those issues with muscle, then the more likely they are to have cognitive um, issues. And again, it's just a question of what part of the brain is involved in that brain injury, again, around birth or before birth. The highest risk factor for its preterm birth, but there's a lot of other risk factors. And again, there's really no way to truly know what that involvement's going to be and whether it's going to be cognitive functions. And that's why you'll get folks like Jason, who, again, very smart, very cognitive. And talking to him, you're not going to know a difference. There are some folks that may have a little bit of speech changes. Um, and then there are some folks who are completely non-ambulatory, but they still may completely function in a cognitive standpoint appropriately, as one would expect, um, versus there are others who you don't know that they're really understanding you at all, and they're not involved in any discussions. When I see them in clinic, it's more of a discussion with the families. Is there anything you can do to treat it? So unfortunately for really the true cause, as in that brain injury, there's nothing you can do to treat it. I, and I don't joke, but I kind of make this joke with, with colleagues as well as patients and, and families when I get to know them really well. Really, the only way to treat it would be a brain transplant. 
And obviously we know that can't happen. My joke always is that means I'll be out of a practice, but if that was to happen, I'd be happy to have it happen. But there's just really no way to treat it. There is some research being done out there in different kinds of things, such as stem cells, um, but there's honestly nothing that's anywhere near um, to really truly treat the actual cause of it. The treatments that we do are to help affect muscle tone, um, the spasticity, as well as then I obviously get involved surgically. And that's more to either improve the function of the patients um, or to improve the care um, that they are given by their families or caregivers. Does CP get worse as the patient grows older? Yeah, another, another great question. Really, again, that brain injury is never going to change. It's a non-progressive or a static brain injury. The function of somebody or the underlying effects of that CP and how the muscles are pulling on their bones and joints, that can definitely change over time. And that's usually with growth because if they grow, the bones usually grow a little faster than the muscles and you've already got high tone in those muscles. And that's when you start to see contractures and occasionally you can see bony deformities. Occasionally I see hips that dislocate. And that's again where my team and all the teams in the world that treat this and usually include surgeons um, as well as physiatrists, um, neurosurgeons and physical therapists very actively um, work to make every patient's life as functional as possible. You mentioned research, and we've talked a little bit about treatment. Um, anything new, any, any breakthrough treatments or research that you're doing uh, at your program at, at CU Anschutz? I mean, again, for the direct treatment of cerebral palsy, no. Um, I've got multiple projects going on. I focus on outcomes research, so I really focus on looking at what different surgeries can I do to treat some of the deformities and help improve the patient's lives. And we've got multiple studies there from a surgical standpoint. Um, I'm very active in working on patients who walk with what's called a knee flexion contracture. So their knees are bent as they're walking. Um, it's truly called a crouch gait because they bend at the hip, knee, and ankle. And I just encourage people to try to walk with your knees bent all the time. Your quadriceps muscle never turns off. And usually over time, you just sink down. And we have some patients that walk like that when they're kids. And when they get to be adults, they won't be able to walk because either of the, the wear and tear on their joints or their muscles have just flat fatigued. And so a bunch of surgeries I do help with that, one of which is where I cut the uh, femur at the knee and try to straighten out the knee joint. And we're currently doing some research if we can do um, what we call guided growth, which is one of my favorite surgeries where I do a surgery around a growth plate and alter how that growth plate grows. And through that, I can help correct some deformities. And there's some early research going on. Um, and we're involved in a couple of multicenter studies across the world on that. Well, Dr. Roach, you just heard Jason Benetti tell us that, that there is still a stigma a huge stigma associated with the disease. He still feels it at a 37-year-old adult, the way people look at him. Uh, they they, they uh, don't understand the way he walks. Uh, they, they don't understand um, the way he looks at times. How do you help kids from a psychological and an emotional standpoint deal with this? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I mean, Obviously, I'm very, very clinically focused, and so when I'm seeing them in clinic, I'm trying to focus on what we're going to do, but I always try to involve the kids in the decisions, and I always try to, to make sure our goals are aligned in terms of what we want to do. You know, at Children's, we do have some psychological programs um, through our psych department over here that can help these kids, but I got to be honest, one of the most important things I've found is try to make these kids and patients feel as normal as possible when they're out there in society, in school, and with their friends. 
And so sometimes I'll try to do different procedures or we'll do different treatments to try to get them into sports, to try to get them doing things such as riding bikes or different clubs, um, because that's where they, they feel the best and where they feel more at home. And that kind of leads down, we have a program here at Children's Hospital called the ARCH program, Adaptive Recreation for Childhood Health. It actually started as a hospital sports program, oh gosh, probably almost 40 years ago. We focus on skiing. We take a busload of, of kids with disabilities and a lot of them have cerebral palsy um, up to Winter Park. Unfortunately, we're on hold because of COVID this year, but hopefully we'll be back full swing next year. We take a group of kids every Saturday up there and get them out there skiing, um, however they can do it. And some of them can only ski on one leg. Some of them are in a sit ski, which is what I specialize in. And we've actually done some research. Unfortunately, we haven't gotten it published yet, but looked into that. And the well-being of the kids and especially the family members see it um, as very positively influenced by this program. And so I think that supports our belief that getting out there and being active is great. And what we find is the kids on the bus become to be best friends and they're having challenges and they're racing each other on the ski hill when they're out there. Um, and in the end, they're generally happy. And the award ceremony at the end of the year is one of my favorite days of the year, just to see these kids and their family and how happy they are. And then when they're retiring from our program, they're all full of tears. Um, and we stay in touch and we've even had a couple of Paralympians come out of here. So um, I, again, I think that that supports really pushing and getting these, these patients just as active as they can be in society and with their friends. Jason Benetti was unstoppable. He grew up in the Chicagoland area. Despite having CP, he wanted to be the White Sox announcer. He became the White Sox television announcer. Do you find for the most part that kids, their, their spirit is unstoppable despite having this disease? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I've got many colleagues uh, who are actually physical therapists. I find a lot of these patients turn to healthcare because that's what's changed their lives. And I know some folks that are physical therapists. Again, we have some Paralympic athletes. Um, there are just tons of people out there that are pushing to continue to do as much as they can. Um, I've got patients that are artists that have painted me pictures uh, patients that are going just about any career that you would like. I've got a couple that are wanting to be an orthopedic surgeon, um, even though I, I warn them about that for the long run, but a lot of them are very interested and we're fully supportive. And so I would say um, Jason, as well as describing as unstoppable is exactly right. And, and all of them are unstoppable. They're just amazing to be around. Dr. Rhodes, really appreciate your time. That was uh, very enlightening. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You want more unstoppable stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. Subscribe today. 